from the NFL. We know the Browns have talent, but I'm not sold on this rookie head coach. To the NBA. Kawhi Leonard has added his name as one of the best players in basketball. Across the landscape of college football. The Pac-12 got how many teams in the top 25? And so much more. Boxing needs a Dana White. It has too many chefs in the kitchen. The stories you want. The Zeke Elliott holdout could be coming to a close. The opinions you need. LeBron is coming back with revenge on his mind. The king is back. It's Jay Wise. I keep telling y'all my last name is no joke. And Nathan Drinkard. If they don't win this game, it's a wrap. Stick a fork in them. They're done. This is A Drink of Wisdom. Welcome to A Drink of Wisdom with Jay Wise and Nathan Drinkard. I'm your host, Cody Ward. Thanks for spending some of your time with us tonight. What's up, fellas? What's up, Cody? What's up, Cody, my guy? Give us some. Give us some. <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. In episode 19, the Browns are a mess, loads are being managed, and we preview a packed weekend in college football. But we begin with Thursday night football, where the Oakland Raiders escaped with a 26-24 victory over the Los Angeles Chargers. The AFC West showdown of wildcard candidates was a fairly sloppy affair with plenty of turnovers by the Chargers and penalties by the Raiders. Ultimately, the Chargers failed to move the ball with a minute left and now sit at 4-6, and six, trailing other playoff hopefuls. So, Jay, did last night make you a believer in the Raiders? Well, it depends on what we mean by believer. If by believer you mean can the Raiders flop around because at 5-4, coming in, coming in the last night's game, they were 4-4, the, the Chargers come in on a two-game winning streak. I thought they would make it three in a row. I thought they were on a hot streak. They proved me wrong, much to the the just atrocious play of one Phillip Rivers, and we'll, I'll get to him more in a moment. But in terms of can the Raiders make the playoffs this year, I suppose they can make the playoffs. I, they, could, they could go nine and seven and get in because the AFC – that's not all that impressive in terms of your wild card teams. You have the Bills right now sitting there at six and two. The Colts are five and three. So those are the those are the two teams that Oakland would really be competing against. There's other teams also in the mix at four and five and four and four. You look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, you look at the Jaguars and Titans to a lesser extent. But so the the level of competition in terms of the AFC is just not as it's just not as impressive as as it would be in the NFC. If the Raiders win the NFC right now, you can go ahead and forget about it. Oh, you five and four? That's really cool, man. But you probably you might need eleven wins to get on in there this year. So could they make the playoffs? They could make the playoffs. The Raiders could make the playoffs, but they're not winning a playoff game. Because I can't see them as a wild card team. I can't see them going anywhere, whether it be to Baltimore, whether it be to Houston, to Kansas City or New England if they somehow fall off and don't get a first-round bye. I can't see Oakland going in and beating any of those teams. I just can't. So in terms of making the playoffs, I guess I could, I guess you could call me a believer. In terms of anything more than that, no. And I'm not, I'm not sold that they'll even make the playoffs. I saw a flawed team last night. Derek Carr, he played reasonably well. But there were a lot of missed opportunities I thought he left on the field last night. The Oakland Raider defense – they benefited last night from the Chargers being down both of their offensive tackles when it was all said and done. Russell Okun left the game. They had a backup in from the get-go at right tackle. The Raiders were able to take advantage of those mismatches. They, they sacked Phillip Rivers five times. The pass rush was something 
that had not been doing all that well and hasn't done all that well since they traded some dude who we won't even get into that. But the defense for the Oakland Raiders, I'm not sold on them. I think offensively, I, I think offensively they're doing some good things. Derek Carr, he's completing a pretty high percentage of his passes. He hasn't looked terrible. He, this is about this is about as good as we've seen Derek Carr since 2016 when the Raiders went 12 and four. Uh, really, what the the most exciting thing about the Raiders and the most encouraging thing is the run game with the rookie Josh Jacobs, who we talked we talked the NFL midseason awards in the last show. We didn't get in the rookies. But this guy, to me, is a slam dunk runaway for offensive rookie of the year with what he's been able to do. He was a guy at Alabama that, to me, really stood out. He runs with aggression. He runs with power. He and he got speed too. He can do he can do it all for the running back position. I'm surprised that he only carried the ball 16 times last night. I would have thought the Raiders would have leaned on him even more. They did not. But when it was all said and done on a third and one, with the Raiders needing a touchdown to go ahead. They, they gave the ball to Josh Jacobs, and my Lord, the offensive line, whether it was Rodney Hudson, whether it was Gabe Jackson, whether it was Colton Miller, Trent Brown, you, whoever it was, they opened up the hugest of lanes where a semi could have drove through there. And just there was, no, was one man that Josh Jacobs had to make miss, and the guy whiffed like Edwin Encarnacion at home plate, just swing a miss, strike three, forget about it. And that was it. But But again – the Chargers, and now let me go to let me go to the Chargers. The Chargers flat blew this game because Phillip Rivers was absolutely atrocious last night. When you look at how this man started the game and finished the game, because in the middle, I thought he was pretty good. I thought in the middle he was pretty good. But the way he started the game, throwing two interceptions, including a pick six to Eric Harris, who I had no idea who that was before last night. And I, I, I'm still not convinced I know who it is. I know his name. I know what he looks like. But I can't remember what his jersey number is. When I watch another Oakland Raider game, I'm going to have to relearn who that is. I think it was 25. I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's number 25. 25? Well, <laughs> whatever it was. He, you mentioned Drink brought up – he brought up Zadarius Smith, I believe, against the Dallas Cowboys weeks ago when Tyron Smith wasn't playing. He said that Zadarius Smith made the Pro Bowl just off that performance, just blowing by Cameron Fleming over and over. This guy, Eric Harris, looked like a pro bowler last night. He got two interceptions. He could have had three or four with the way Phillip Rivers was flinging the ball all over the place to no one in particular on his own team. There were so many overthrows. There were, so many, there were underthrows, overthrows, misreads, wasn't reading the defense correctly. It was just a train wreck of a performance who from – and this is a quarterback who I've heard. I've heard NFL pundits say and mention his name and the words Hall of Famer. In the same sentence, I'm here to tell you there was nothing Hall of Fame about that performance last night. And not to say that quarterbacks aren't entitled to have a bad game, but Philip Rivers, let's be very, let's be honest right here. What has he done? That's all that impressive, especially when you consider and compare his resume to two quarterbacks that was he was drafted in the same class, a Ben Roethlisberger and an Eli Manning, who both are multiple Super Bowl champions. And Philip Rivers, there has been plenty. Many a time where he's had deep, deep rosters, whether it's a LaDainian Thomason and, and an Antonio Gates, or whether it's rosters he's had very recently with Anthony Lynn as his head coach. I looked at last night's game, and I'm going to tell you, when the Oakland Raiders missed that extra point to make it 26-24, 
and there was a minute and two seconds left in the game. The Chargers had all three timeouts. I said, oh, it's a wrap. The Raiders just lost this game because Phillip Rivers is about to go on. He's about to go on a drive and put these guys in field goal range, and it's going to come down to a field goal, but he's going to get him in position. And boy, was I wrong about that. This guy came out there and just, it was, a, it was unbelievable what he did or what he didn't do, however way you look at it. He came out there, slings four straight incompletions, Many of them, we, we don't even know who he, you look, you could go on the play by play on ESPN in the box score. It probably don't even list intended receivers on some of them plays because we don't even know who he was throwing the ball to. That's how bad it was. And look, he throws four straight incompletions, but the Raiders give him another opportunity with a fourth down penalty. And that's another reason the Raiders, I'm not sold on too many penalties. They undisciplined. They third in the league in penalties, I believe. They commit the penalty to extend the drive. And what does Phillip Rivers do? He throws four more straight incompletions. So you end the game with eight straight incompletions, including your third interception, this time to Carl Joseph, and you lose the game. I couldn't believe the fashion they lost that game in. It was embarrassing in my estimation. And for me, you want to talk Phillip Rivers and Hall of Fame? Forget about it based on last night and what he hasn't done in terms of winning big games. First, I want to say, you know, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of stuff you said. Yeah, I absolutely do. Even if it sounds like I don't, I absolutely do. Um, as far as being a believer in the Raiders, I can say this. They're not the Bengals. But uh, I don't think they're going to be a playoff team. I mean, I think they're in contention, but at the end of the day, Jay just laid, he just gave out a blueprint of why they're not going to make the playoffs. So I'm not even going to hit on that. If you, you know... They need to replay what you just said. You laid the blueprint. You said that fine and well. But let me tell you what I want to hit on. And um, I meant to tell y'all this earlier before we went live. All right. Excuse me. You know, my stomach a little weak today. All right. It's a little weak. And, I mean, for if you're not used to talking to a person with a weak stomach, if you want to know what I mean, just go look at Joe Bosa's performance last night because it was just as weak. Here's the deal. I don't know what Joe Bosa was doing last night. This guy killed me. I couldn't wait to say this today. I could not wait. It is 9.58 left in the third quarter. This guy get his first tackle of the game, first tackle of the game, and then he limps off to the sideline like he just got hit by a bus. I said, now, ain't this some crap here? And at that moment, I said to myself, Oh, the Raiders going to win this. I don't know what they didn't brought up here today, but this is Cupcake City. You got, you got Phillip Rivers looking like he and the doggone, uh, Pop Warner out there. He didn't play, the dude got so many kids, he got his own Pop Warner team and he had like he can't throw the ball like he don't play catch every day. Then you got Joe Bosa. Hey, uh, I'm going to mail it in today, coach. Don't worry about it. USPS. And with all that said, the, the Chargers, not to mention, not to mention, right? They actually got a good game out of Gordon last night. Like, like if you go to look at the stats, Gordon played well. He did. But you just can't tell because when you look at Phillip Rivers out here with the Thanksgiving um, pass away out here, handing out turkeys to the poor folks, that's what it looked like out there. He was throwing so many picks away. All right. Yeah, I mean he's in he's in rare form right now. It is holiday season for Phillip Rivers. 
hey, you good? You you want you want to come on in for a Black Friday sale? I'm just giving stuff away today. So, with all that said, yeah, I'm looking at the charges like playoffs. We're talking play. Yeah, okay. No. Let me let me get off that. I just wanted to go ahead and get that off my chest right quick. Cause Phil really really disappointed me last night. I don't know what he was doing. I was one that thought if Phil River at least made it to an AFC championship or a Super Bowl, he would be a Hall of Famer. But I gotta agree with Jay. <laughs> Hall of Fame? <laughs> you lucky if you be in the ring of honor, sucker. Talking about the Hall of Fame with that performance. Man. Woo! Now, the Raiders, the question that you actually asked. Look, let me tell you, I got to give John Gruden credit. I thought John Gruden was just going to come in here and be a sideshow. I really did. I said this dude going to come in here and try to make this quarterback camp 2.0. I just didn't believe him. I'm not going to lie. I didn't believe him. I got to give him credit. The dude that had, he had the most, single-handedly the most exciting offseason of any head coach this offseason. His offseason was crazy. I mean, nuts. Antonio Brown comes there. He he does what he does. I don't know what you want to call it, right? You got Perfect out here putting out hits on fools. He out here with the young Aaron Hernandez doing what he doing, right? So you got to deal with that crap. You got to deal with your owner half cut. Look like he, he's still cutting his hat in the dark. You got to deal with that crap on top of that. You got Mike Mayock coming from the broad, you know, the broadcasting booth. And he's trying to put his thumbprint on the team, which he did a good job. No, don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking off. He's done a good job as GM. I really do think so. So when I looked at the Raiders, it was just like I thought the team was going to be really be a sideshow. Um, they was going to guarantee themselves a top four pick this year. I just didn't think much of it, especially when Antonio Brown hit him with the razzle dazzle. I, I didn't think I, I didn't think nothing of him. And now, now he is five and four. Like Jay said, in the AFC, he still can fight for a playoff spot. Um, he has done remarkable with that, with the assets that he ended up with at the beginning of the season. Let's think about it. I want the only mainstay that he really got on this team was Derek Carr. The rest of these guys either got drafted or got brought in from another place. So it's not like he's playing with some veteran-laden team. Derek Carr is the only guy that can say he was on the team three years ago. The rest of these guys, like, whatever. But guys like Waller, the tight end, he was dead. He was a drug addict two years ago. Nobody gave a rip about him. This dude coming back, he looking like a top five tight end this year. It's crazy. He is out here balling. And, I mean, balling, folks. He's out here playing some good ball. You got Josh Jacobs. Like you said, and I agree with you, Josh Jacobs is about for the offense rookie of the year. I don't want to hear nothing else. You come back, you try to give me some little lame duck quarterback, and I'm going to give you the business. It's definitely Josh Jacobs this year. He earned it. He's out here. He's paving the road. The reason Oakland is so exciting on offense, I can say, is because of Josh Jacobs. Because sometimes Derek Carr don't even come to play. Last night, what did he really do last night? There's neither here nor there. I don't want to beat up on him. But with Josh Jacobs, right, coming in, Phenomenal kid. Tyrell Williams, I want to say that guy played for uh, the Chargers last year. He he was a he was a solid, you know, wide receiver for the Chargers. But for the Raiders, I mean, I thought he was phenomenal. If Derek Carr can get him the ball more frequently, 
I think that guy had a chance to be a really good wide receiver. Just, you know, Derek Carr, you know, he kind of slack off a little bit. Let's talk about Hunter Ripro, another draft pick that they got in the fourth. Now, before you, you furl up, you got to understand, all right, Jay, because I, I can see it in your face. Before you make it painfully obvious, all right, Hunter Ripro, first of all, was a fourth-round pick. So it wasn't like he came in here to be the savior. He was a fourth round pick, a little uh-huh. slot, a little slot wide receiver that was a walk on. Hey, hey, I know why he's there. He's a grinder, and he is. He is. He he is a grinder. Like I understand, <laughs> I understand the running joke with that, but he is really a grinder. He really <laughs> not doing his thing. His and here's another reason I would say in totality, so I don't drag this out for the rest of the night. The reason the Raiders or a team that we could talk about in a positive manner is because I think between John Gruden and Mike Mayock, they drafted really, really well. You can say whatever you want about them, but think about this. They took Cleveland Farrell in the first round. We seen what he was doing last night. They took Josh Jacobs in the first round. We see what he did last night. And um, they, I want to say they took Abrams. I think Jonathan Abrams in the first round, the, the, the safety. He got hurt, but he was playing well before he got hurt. He didn't play last night. Everything he got injured, but he was playing well. Then, like, I already brought up Renfro. So, if you don't say anything else good about the Raiders, at least you can say this. They drafted well, and it showed up for them last night that they drafted well. So, am I a believer of the Raiders? Yes, to a certain extent. I stop it at playoffs. Nothing past playoffs. They ain't a conference championship team. They ain't a Super Bowl team. Uh, they're a wild card team at best. They get in as the sixth seed, get a two piece in the first round, and then send them on their way. That's my that's my uh, my pitch for the Raiders. Yeah, one and one thing to compliment on what you said about the Raiders, I do agree. I do agree on a couple points. Number one, I didn't expect them to be relevant at all this year. They look they they are better than I thought they would be. I did not expect them to be above five hundred at this point. And at this and at this juncture of the season, the work they did at the draft does look like they do look like they've hit on a lot of these picks. And that that's important when you look at a first time GM combined with a coach who's making a hundred million dollars. That's important to draft well, especially in a rebuild. So the, those those are good signs for the Raiders moving forward. I think we could it's fair if they continue on this path. Perhaps next year they can have more lofty expectations, but not right now. And you mentioned a guy I did forget. I would be remiss if I didn't also compliment the performance of Melvin Gordon last night because I gave Josh Jacobs some praise for how he's played. Melvin Gordon was fantastic last night, 109 yards on 22 carries. And the thing I've always brought up about Melvin Gordon in comparison to Austin Eckler is Melvin Gordon's a finisher. He's a guy that can close the deal in the red zone and find pay dirt. He's been doing it for years. I think it's a shame that Melvin Gordon held out for so long and then ended up coming back with really no resolution. There was He didn't gain anything by holding out. The Chargers don't appear. It appears to be his last year with the Los Angeles Chargers. And I think it's a shame because I think he's a heck of a running back. And he proved it last night. He was excellent. 
Yeah, looking at that game last night, guys, there was a couple – I mean, y'all hit most of the big things that stood out to me. I think it is very good, like you said, Melvin Gordon coming back and finally having that game that's putting him back in the mix. Uh, you know, when he first came back from his holdout, he had a couple games he was stumbling around, didn't have a lot of uses or a lot of carries, didn't have a lot of yards. When they did try to give him more carries, uh, people were actually saying, oh, maybe Austin Eckler's better. Let's, 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 not, no way. No let's way. not say we did. You know, like Melvin Gordon proved last night, hey, I'm back. and My leg's back under me. Let's do this. Um, so whether he stays in Los Angeles or not, it's good to see him getting back and, you know, rebuilding his stock for other teams. And like I said about Oakland, man, this team, man, five and four, they got a good chance. You know, we were talking about a little bit about playoffs, so you have a little more context here. We're talking about the Bengals and the Jets for the next two games. Both games they should easily win. They'll have to go to Arrowhead the first week of December. That looks like it might be a loss. But then they'll have the Titans and Jaguars at home. Those are two East Coast teams making a West Coast trip. Uh, and then they get the Chargers and Broncos in the year. So this team has a chance to win. Uh, you got to think at this point, you know, nine, ten games, that might be enough in the AFC to get a wild card spot, uh, assuming the Bills take the first wild card spot, which looks like they are going to with their schedule. But uh, a team that could definitely do that. And like I said, man, with Antonio Brown leaving and all the chaos and drama and people thinking this dude's it's a sideshow, uh, there was no expectation for the Raiders to be good. Not to mention, too, there are – they're pretty much a lame duck franchise. They're leaving this year. I mean, that place was rocking. Those fans were losing their minds. I was really impressed that the Oakland Raiders showed up like they did, played as well as they did. And uh, the only thing I had to hit on that didn't really get covered, the Chargers' defense, man, wasn't very impressive last night. They didn't get asked to do a whole lot. Uh, the, the Chargers, you know, despite the score and throwing all the interceptions, the they were on the field a lot. This defense didn't have to do a whole lot. Every time they had to come up with a stop, they didn't play well. Drink already hit on Joey Bosa. Man, had two tackles, and he died on one of them. I mean, that and that's just not – I don't know. that, that You expect that unit with some of the more veteran guys they've got, uh, along with you know guys like Derek Watt that are playing better, Melvin Ingram. And there's enough on this defense, uh, even without Derwin James, who still has been hurt, I, I expect a little more out of this unit, and they, every time they needed to do something, they just kind of did it. And uh, it ultimately, they gave them, they gave the team a chance to win, but they didn't get it done, and just another disappointing uh, Chargers performance. All right, guys, let's pivot back to the Midwest, back to perhaps the most overhyped football team in the NFL, at least in recent memory. The Cleveland Browns are 2-6, and six, and there's increasing belief that Coach Freddie Kitchens could be fired before the end of the season. Even if they allow the first-year head coach to finish the season, they could also fire him when Week 17 concludes. So, Drink, let's start with you. Who's most to blame for the Browns' woes? Yo, two, two things. Freddie Kitchens' resume and the GM. Look, how... First of all, I want to purchase this by saying I have a lot of respect for John Dorsey because since he became the GM now, he has done some good things. But this, this crap he pulled right here is about to know all the good things he done done. Let, let, let me remind you. The one reason we thought Cleveland was going to be good was because the talent that is on that roster. John Dorsey got all that talent on the roster. The one question we all had, what any sensible mind of the NFL had was, can this guy handle this? Can he handle, can you get him the keys to the Ferrari and tell him to drive it 20 miles at 100 miles per hour without crashing it? I don't know. It's a Ferrari. Shit happens. I mean, stuff happens. Sorry. Um, but they gave him the keys. They gave him the keys to, to this car and then 
when he couldn't drive it, when he tried to drive it like an old Chrysler van, they got mad with him. Now, hey, man, you got to take control of this. No, it ain't his fault. I mean, what in what world, in what world does a running back coach, tight end coach, quarterback coach, running back coach, tight end coach, like, I, I just don't see what you've seen in this resume that made you believe, hey, hey, go out there and get Odell Beckham. Bring him on in. Yeah, he can handle it. No big deal. Hey, trade away our best guard on the line so we get Odell Beckham. Because, you know, this head coach, his resume screams player management. I mean, he's the truth. Like, I, I don't understand. And I think somebody got to put John Dorsey on the podium and say, John, we got to know what you was thinking, baby. We got to know what Baker Mayfield must be giving him five stars on the Uber app or something. Because I, I got to know why, what did he show you that made you believe that he can handle this? Like, if me, a normal smo that just watch sports, and you, a normal smo that watch sports, can see this guy might not be able to cut it, man. If we can see it, John, John, come on. What you, what you trying to do, something nice? That was your Christmas gift? I'm going to give you a shot? I'm a good guy? I'm going to help you out? This a knee slapper? Like, come on, man. Like, no. And this, and I, I'm going to be honest. I felt like with everything that Cleveland did this year, if they did have a coach that can handle that, this could have been a special year for Cleveland. It really could have. You had the quarterback. Well, all right, you had everything outside the offensive line. I mean, you still need the offensive line. But still, with all that talent, you could find a way to make it happen. Russell Wilson been making it happen with no offensive line for years. It can happen. You got Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry on the outside. You got Callaway running the slot. You got Njuku as a tight end. You got uh, you got Chubb in the backfield. Now you're about to get Kareem Hunt back. Like, all he needed was at least one good guard. I, I think he was on the phone with Joe Thomas, too, asking him if he still have some game left in him. But all he needed was a competent offensive line and a coach that could manage personnel. I read an article today. It said that um, the Browns are looking to get Baker Mayfield a four-speed Odell Beckham. I said, no, nah, ain't this something? And and so I read the article, and I'm like, hey, so I wonder why they came up with that conclusion. And then you got Freddie Kitchens up there. Well, you know, uh, we'd like to give him the ball more. Um, look, folks, I'm kind of over my head. Look, that's what he should have said. Had he said that, I think people would have, like, understood it more and be like, Freddie, we know. Thank you for being honest with us. You know what we won't do? We won't kill you on your way out. We'll, we'll just let you go out, and we won't kill you. Instead, this is what you get. Now, with that said, he does not, and I repeat, does not deserve to get fired during the regular season. He does not. He should get fired after the season. Black Friday sale. Once again, I will repeat, I'm not saying he shouldn't get fired. I'm just saying let the man play 16 and then fire him. That's all I'm saying. Let him coach 16 and then fire him. And then let this be a lesson to other NFL teams. It's okay if you go get a young head coach from college. At least he's a head coach. But when you go and hire some guy that
that looked like he carried shoulder pads around for half of his career. Like, he looks like he was an equipment manager. Look at these positions. What are we talking about here? Hey, shine the helmets. Make sure the screw's tight. But you, you go high. They deserve what they're getting right now. Clearly deserve what they're getting right now. The proof was not in the pudding, folks. It wasn't even close to the pudding. I think the proof was outside the house instead of in the pudding. Because this, you deserve this. Cleveland, you, John Dorsey, you deserve every bit of what you're going through right now. You are wasting Baker Mayfield's talent. You trade away the best guy on the offensive line, and, and you get a, a wide receiver that want to cry and wear a million-dollar watches during the game. I don't even understand. I still don't even understand that. He want to wear Like, come on, man. His watch is more than my lifetime, and he want to wear it in a football game. It's, it's crazy. But long, long story short, <clears throat> had to get that off. Uh, that pretty kitchen. Look. The blame for this is the GM, John Dawson. John Dawson. Now, I know, Jay, he's going to get up here and say it's, that it's Baker Mayfield's fault as well, but I would say this. If I'm the GM and I got all this going and then my quarterback comes to me and says, I want this guy, I want this guy, and then I look at his resume, you're going to have to give me the, you know, I want the A to Z why you want this guy because I don't see nothing that makes that makes me believe that this is the guy for you. So let me hear what you got. And I don't know what he said, but it must was good enough for John Dorsey to make this ridiculous decision. Because it's been it's been ridiculous since week one, since the off the, the off season hype. It's been ridiculous. And now because the we didn't see them play it on the field and we see the facts that it's ridiculous, now everybody's like, hey man, I wonder where it went wrong. Oh, it went wrong from the announcement. That's where it went wrong from. So it's definitely John Dorsey's fault. Over to you, Jay. This is a this is a fascinating subject, and I'm gonna have trouble getting through it with a straight face because this is almost what we expected could happen because it goes back to the opening intro that we recorded before an episode ever hit Apple Podcast when I said. We know the Browns have talent, but I'm not sold on this rookie head coach. This is where we're at, man. The Browns are 2-6. and six. They just lost to the Denver Broncos and a guy by the name of Brandon Allen who had never taken an NFL snap. They said, well, they said his last snap, and this is significant to me, his last snap was the like Music City Bowl or some bull. Oh, right. All right, yeah, in college. Yeah. So that's how long it's been. And yet he comes in, has a has a fine game, outplays Baker Mayfield. Man, oh man, so many things you said in your opening subject. There was I think there was three things you hit on that I wanted to come back immediately. I already forgot one of them. So you mentioned the Ferrari. They gave the keys to Freddie Kitchens to drive the Ferrari. At this point, man, I got a station wagon out in the driveway. I wouldn't even let this man drive. It's that bad, my, my man. That's how over his. That's how much this dude is in over his head. And you talk about. You mentioned Baker Mayfield and five stars on the Uber app. Could it be other apps as well that we give five stars on? I mean, could it be the Grubhub or the Postmates or? It, it might be. You know what? We didn't talk so much about Baker Mayfield and him shaving. He could be getting coupons from Freddie off Dollar Shave Club. You know what I'm saying? This is outrageous. The Cleveland Browns, this is almost what we 
thought could happen. We weren't sure of it. But we always thought if the Browns season went sideways, it would have a lot to do with the guy you hired as head coach, and it goes back to John Dorsey. I agree with you up to a point. I think I think most of this is on John Dorsey. I put a little bit on Baker Mayfield only and he can't he can't be responsible for much of it because he's just the quarterback in the end. John Dorsey, even if he takes Baker Mayfield's advice, that's his own fault for immediately capitulating to a second-year quarterback who really, I mean, he's a second-year quarterback. At the end of the day, what has he done? I mean, is it, is it, what you got, Drink? I, I just want to say this. Let's, let's just think about it like this, John Dorsey. You took advice from a guy that had to shave three times during one regular season game. So, that should have told you right there. Decision making fail. And look, and am I am I wrong in saying his look got worse each time? Oh, yeah. Not only playing on the field, but his look. Like, did you see you see these pictures floating around from the post game? I mean, they got the the what is it? The Sherlock Holmes jokes coming out and just all kind of craziness. I mean, why didn't you just shave it all off? I, I don't know. That that's neither here nor there. We don't need to be talking about the man's grooming standards. It don't that don't matter that don't amount to a hill of beans in comparison to his own field performance. I find it almost the the amount of regression we've seen from Baker Mayfield because make no mistake about it he has been absolutely atrocious this year and I got you know you know I like to refer to some numbers to go ahead and support what I'm saying I'm gonna lay some of them on you real quick. You know Baker Mayfield when he's not under pressure this season he is the only quarterback that's thrown more interceptions than touchdowns. So I know we I know there's a there's a belief that the offensive line is partly the reason for Baker Mayfield's struggles. He, when he's not under pressure, he still ain't getting it done. So you can't put but so much of it on the offensive line, even though you do you do make a valid point that they trade away Kevin Zeitler to the Giants to get Odell Beckham. But listen, I think that stat's damaging right there. He leads he's tied for the league lead with Jameis Winston and interceptions. That ain't good. He's the again only quarterback in the NFL that's thrown more interceptions than touchdowns. Let me let me take you to the QBR statistic. Thirty-two quarterbacks right now qualifying for the QBR lead. He's twenty-six. Only quarterbacks below him: Andy Dalton, Mason Rudolph, Sam Darnold, Mitchell Trubisky, Josh Allen, Marcus Mariota. I don't think today any of us would want. Can we? I can't vouch for any of those quarterbacks right now. None of them. I mean, I, you can you can say what you want to about Josh Allen. The Bills are six and two, but there's nothing impressive to me about Josh Allen outside of his athleticism. So it's just it's just incredible to me how last season when Freddie Kitchens was promoted offensive coordinator, the Browns' offense took off. They started winning a lot more games, and now it's just you look at Freddie Kitchens and Baker Mayfield together. It's almost as if you give him the head coaching position. And he keeps play calling. He's still calling plays. And we've seen, in essence, everything go sideways. The Browns overall, they're undisciplined. They lead the NFL in penalties. The offense can't do what they're supposed to do outside of Nick Chubb doing, doing what he can do from time to time in the running game. But, man, seven touchdowns, 12 interceptions. Just We've seen Baker Mayfield absolutely regress this year. We can't figure out what it is. We're giving you more weapons. You got the same guy calling plays. It's just hard to put your finger on what's going on. But, we, look, we questioned from the beginning this head coaching hire. To me, 
that's where it is. And I, and I feel I feel bad for Freddie Kitchens because he clearly wasn't. I don't think he was qualified for this position. I'm gonna go back to the the coaching career he's had. You realize up until last year, before Todd Haley and Hugh Jackson were sent, they got kicked out the door. He'd never even been an offensive coordinator. He was a positional coach for the better part of 17, 18 years. And to me, that that I pay attention to that because where is your career progression? It's almost like even with the Cardinals, he went from tight end coach to quarterback coach, and then he went to running back coach. So I look at tight end and quarterback coach. I think that's somewhat of a promotion. But then you go to running back coach. I'm, I'm just confused. And to me, if I was John Dorsey, what I would have told Baker Mayfield, who we presume had a lot to do with Freddie Kitchens being a head coach, you can have Freddie Kitchens. He just going to stay in the offensive coordinator role. Why not keep him in that position more? And I'm not saying you had to keep Greg Williams as a head coach, even though I thought he did a fine job for him. But get somebody else in there with some head coaching experience that can be a CEO of a team and just roll with it like that. Uh, you made a you, you made a good point um, that I wanted to hit on um, <laughs> about about his stats, <laughs> even when he's not behind that offensive line. I'm not gonna lie, I didn't know that. I didn't know he was that bad, even if you give him a clean pocket. Um, but I would say this. I would say this. You said you don't know what happened, why, why the regression. Well, that's easy. Expectation, you know, that's that's the biggest one. That's fair. And Absolutely. Expectation. Like, and what we had to remember about these guys last year was this. Freddie Kitchens was using Hugh Jackson playbook to finish the season. That wasn't his playbook. There was like, this is what I think about most guys that replace somebody. When when you got a quarterback that comes in for another quarterback that got hurt in the game, it's not necessarily like his stuff. I mean, he might bring his tangibles, but it's most likely the stuff that was drawn up for the quarterback before that they're just trying to squeeze in, throw, throw a dunk pass here, dunk pass out. Well, I feel like coaches do the same thing. If you fire a coach before the season is up and another coach gets replaced, unless that coach was – you know, it had he had a career beforehand. He was a head coach before. Freddie Kitchens, I guarantee you, Freddie Kitchens that took the playbook that he, him and Hugh Jackson was working on together, and that's he used that for the rest of the season. Well, the problem with that is this. The next season, now you can't do that. It has to be your stuff. So now you have to really do work because you can't just be the offensive coordinator and I'm going to use my offense coordinator stuff to work. No, you got to be the head coach. Now, you have mandatory this, mandatory that. You have to be here. You have to do that. You got to do this. And the man just simply couldn't handle it. So I think that's why the, the, the dropout was so heavy because you asked, we asked, I say, we asked for so much more from both of these individuals because um, we wanted, we was waiting for uh Baker Mayfield to make the, the sophomore jump. Either he was going to make the sophomore jump or the sophomore slump. One of the two. That's what we was waiting on to him. We, hey, Fred Kitchens, what you got? What you got for us, baby? First year. Nobody know anything about your play calling for real because you only got, what, six, eight games last year? So you should better hit some people with some sauce out here because they ain't seen your stuff. Did you see what Kelly Moore did for the Cowboys? You get away with a little sauce eventually because nobody's seen it. And you still couldn't drip no sauce. You still dry here in these streets. 
you still overcooked the chicken. So, who fault is that? But, yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there because you, you said something about it, and I feel like that was the reason for the regression, and I have no excuse for him not being able to throw the ball outside. But like, he's just not good this year. That's all it is to it. Right, you're, and, and back to what you were saying with the all the hype and all the talking and chirping and all the expectations that in some respects they put on themselves and the media for some reason just, they ate it up, boy. They just, they sure ate it up. Oh, hey, did you refer to us as Smoles earlier in this segment? Because I think that was the last, was that the last, I think that was the last segment I wanted to get to. Was, was that in this segment? Yeah, okay, that, that, that was the la- that was the third thing I wanted to go back to because I consider us to be more than smalls. Just I just throw that out there. We look, look. I know, I know. We hey, hey. We we just starting out. We're getting we're pretty new at this in comparison to some of the big time names. But hey, hey, we got we know what we're talking about. We can see what's going on. We got eyes. We got twenty twenty vision throughout here. We know what's going on with the Cleveland Browns. There's no mistake about it. We in some respects. We knew this was possible, and if it was going to happen, and if it was going to go sideways, it was going to be because you didn't give the right man the keys to whatever vehicle you got, whether it's a Ferrari, whether it's a station wagon, whether it's a daggone tricycle. It don't matter. That's what's going on here. I just, but it's amazing, and I just, I just got a question for you: Is it possible that we overrated Baker Mayfield? Yes, it is possible that, yes, that we heap too much praise on Baker Mayfield without making him work for it. Absolutely, I agree. I feel like, yes, we we overanalyzed the fact that he was older and he was a little more in his career, so it shouldn't took him as long to snap in to the NFL style of play, but sadly I was mistaken. And, that, and I don't even think I answered the question, so – I, I, but I do agree with you. I don't think firing, the, firing him during the season or right now, I don't think that does anything for you except scare off potential guys that could perhaps want this job. Because, again, a guy with experience that can come in there, I mean, there's still, we, look, we, we admit and we, we see there's still a lot of talent on this roster. You just need the right guy in the head coaching spot with some experience that can be a voice of reason, galvanize these troops. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to go back to this stat that I've been harping on a lot with the Cleveland Browns. The one stat I always look to that to me is a direct reflection of coaching is penalty because it speaks to a, because, because it speaks to how disciplined or undisciplined your team is. And it's more than just a penalty. You talk about there's so much stuff the Cleveland Browns do that you just look at them and say, why are you even worried about this? Like, why does this matter? Why does it matter? What you do with your facial hair? What? Why are you? There's no reason you should be holding a razor at any point during the Denver Bronco game. How about getting in there with Freddie Kitchens and seeing what's going on with some of these coverages? Why are we missing receivers? Why can't we execute in the red zone? Get on the daggone tablet, figure this stuff out. It shouldn't be that difficult against some of these teams. And you brought up Odell Beckham talking about wearing these, I don't know, these million dollar watches or whatever going on. You got him and Jarvis Landry. They can't even figure out what shoes to wear. I mean, it's a joke. And then, and then on top of it all, you got Jermaine Whitehead out here at safety going on a tirade because he gets criticized for his lack of effort. And he just goes off on Twitter, going, hey. making threats, all kind of crazy stuff. And he gets his, he gets his behind cut. Hey, I read a story. Yo, he got cut before he got out of his uniform. Yo, like literally he walked back, sent that tweet. Cleveland sent somebody to his locker and was like, Hey man, just get all your stuff. 
Uh, follow me over here. Yo, like, real, this is a real story. I thought you were making this up. Hey, get your stuff. Come over here. They hey, sent him over hey, to the- You know, if they continue to lose, it's only going to get worse. I thought that was amazing. Like, they didn't even give him a chance to shower. They said, get your stuff. Get on over here. We need to holler at you. Next thing you know, you're out of here. Go ahead, Joel. Go ahead, Cody. Yeah. I didn't have much to add, guys. I mean, y'all mostly hit it. I- I'll be honest with you. I sat around and thought about this Sunday, and I thought, man, maybe I can play a little devil's advocate here because I know y'all were going to tear him up, rightfully so, obviously. But I thought, you know, as teams that have this stench and this constant hanging cloud of losing culture, it's hard to kick. It is. It is a very hard thing to kick if you don't have that tradition and that day-in, day-out ways to win games and that that mentality and how things are run in a day-to-day operation – it is hard to kick that. It's hard to find the right guys. I mean, Cleveland's been doing it since they came back to Cleveland. I mean, we're talking Baker Mayfield has to carry the banner of, what is it, 19 or 18 other quarterbacks? I mean, your Tim Couches and your Johnny Manziels and everyone in between. You know, hey, you, hey, you, well, listen, it's about to be 2021 the way he's going right now. It is. And that's the thing is, like, I, I wanted to say, man, and, and, you know, there are a couple excuses. I mean, you can say, hey, Baker Mayfield's in a sophomore slump. We see this all the time. All these dudes come in. They have a, they have a rough second year. You get film on them. We know the drill. Uh, you've got these head cases like Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, I guess Whitehead. You can throw him on the list now. I mean, these are these are these kind of personalities. You, the only coaches you could expect to reasonably completely control them would be like a Mike Tomlin, who has a, a history of of keeping things like this in order. You know, so I'd say the first year head coach, I man, he's going to have to probably figure out how he's going to handle that. But at the end of the day, you look at the Browns, man, and they're just. The penalties are the big thing. They, they technically are second now, thanks to the Oakland Raiders, the also highly penalized team playing last night. But they are still a ridiculously over-penalized team. They, lead, they led the league coming into last night. And the other thing with the schedule, you look at who they've lost to in the manner of which they lost. They got blown out by the Titans week one. And, yeah, they beat the Jets week two, but it's the Jets. Who cares? You know, and then they played the Los Angeles Char- uh, Rams close. They lost. And then they went to Baltimore and won a game. When you go to, when you went to Baltimore and you go to your divisional rival, your divisional rival that's going to probably win your division, and you win the game 40 to 25, that tells me you can do it. You can do it. That should have been then, a building block. It should have been. But then they went out and they laid an egg against the 49ers and kicked a whole three points up there. And then they played a close game against Seattle, lost, and then come out of the bye week, got smoked by New England, and then lost to the Broncos, which, you know, that's the most egregious of the losses. I can understand New Cody. England. Cody, hold on. How many points they scored against? Uh, you said they came off the bye and they scored how many points? They scored the the a whole 13, now, again, against the Patriots. So we're going to give them a little bit of credit. I think that he made the kicking comment against the 49ers. They lost 49ers. 30. They 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 after they beat Baltimore, they scored 3 points against the 49ers. Oh, okay. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. See, right. so, so let me get this right. So in his last game, he shaved more than the points that they scored against the 49ers. That's what you said. That would me. be a very correct okay. statement. Okay. And right. that tells me that you have the talent to do it, you're just not doing it. And you look at this roster, man, it's just too much. you you got to do better with this. Like y'all said, Freddie Kitchen said never had this job in the first place. I don't know how he got it. But uh, if I'm the Cleveland Browns, I, I think you got to make another coaching change. There's got to be something to be said about letting a guy have a chance. This dude's had a chance. You had talent. And so far, you have not proven you can do anything. And if you can't prove it at some point, if you can't string some wins together, you shouldn't have the job.
All right, let's tip in with our next topic about the NBA and load management. Clipper superstar Kawhi Leonard has reignited that debate that's been gaining steam for a few seasons now. The team was fined $50,000 this past week after Leonard sat out two nationally televised games for rest. So we'll start with you, Jay. Should these big-name players be taking games off, and what should the NBA do about it? I just want to say up front that this, I think this is a more complex issue than how simplified we made it in the initial question for that lead-in you just articulated for us. There's a lot of there's a lot of factors that go into this low management thing, which I think that's that's a nonsense term. They need to just call it what it is. It's rest. That's what these guys are doing. They are resting. This is nothing. This is nothing but taking a day off. So I'm gonna say what I, my belief on this topic is this. I am not. I cannot support healthy players sitting for no reason other than oh I just I just want to rest today. I want to rest. I need I need my load managed. I'm not in support of that. In the case of Kawhi Leonard, and I know I know the belief is, and the, the Clippers are saying he's dealing with an injury. The NBA they backed that up. They went and they went so far to actually outline what the injury was, which I, I didn't expect that from them. I don't think Kawhi Leonard expected that from them, but they came out and said it. They said the Clippers they find they did find Doc Rivers fifty thousand dollars for what he said. Because Doc Rivers came out there and said, oh, yeah, he feels great. Okay. Okay, but why ain't he playing? I mean, that's just that's just strange to me. But the NBA also said, came out and said, hey, they're not violating the policy. He is dealing with a knee injury. You can take that for what it is. Drink, drink's been watching him lately. I haven't seen him the past couple nights. But he says he doesn't look 100%. I don't know. The whole, the whole Kawhi Leonard thing, it, it's a little bit fishy to me. I don't know if he's healthy. I don't know if he isn't. But my thing is, if he is, if he isn't completely healthy and he does have a legitimate injury, then I have no problem with him sitting out and the Clippers being cautious with him. I don't. I just would. My problem is, if he's if he if he's dealing with an injury, whether it's nagging, whatever it is, why don't you just list? You know, he's out tonight with a knee with knee discomfort, or it, you can. There's a myriad of ways you can say it. It doesn't need to be load management. I'm not in favor of load management in this in the terms of just guys just sitting for the purpose of rest. These guys, the NBA has made a lot of efforts lately to make it easier on these players. They're starting the season earlier, which what they've done, there are fewer back-to-backs. They've eliminated four games in five nights, which was a big deal. They have made concessions for these players to make their lives a little bit easier and at some point, again, I've said, I've said this on several occasions now, I just get tired of these guys telling us how difficult their lives are. You're a basketball player. In, ter- in, in comparison to the NFL, when we take into account the lack of guaranteed contracts those guys have, except Kirk Cousins, but that's a story for another day, in terms of the money they make and the amount of risk they have, whether it's concussions, whether it's other serious injuries, because there's more risk to me playing in the NFL than it is in the NBA. And I'm not saying the NBA, there is physicality in the NBA. That, some of that still remains, but it's nowhere near as physical as it used to be, whether it's the 80s or 90s. A lot of that physical play has been eliminated. There are, so, there are things we're seeing nowadays that they're calling flagrant fouls that I'm like, this, this, I don't even know if some of this, file in the NBA of yesteryear. I don't know if it would be. So I take all that into consideration. 
I, I really think it's a it's it's a complicated issue because you got a lot of you have a lot of interests. You got what the player wants. You got the organization, the Clippers. Hey, look, they're out here trying to win a title. They're trying to do the best thing for their player and keep him healthy throughout the year. But when you look at when you look at it from the other side with the the, the TV companies and the fans, when you got Kawhi sitting out on the front end of a back to back for two straight weeks on ESPN Wednesday action against the Jazz and against the Bucks respectively, especially when you look at when you look at the game against the Milwaukee Bucks. This was a marquee early season matchup between the regular season MVP, the Greek freak, and the finals MVP, Kawhi Leonard. And I just think you're you're robbing ESPN, you're robbing the fans, especially when you consider the NBA for the most part, it's a localized it's a localized media type thing in terms of the local markets having control of the the team's broadcast and unless they're ESPN and TNT NBA TV games and so unless you're out here rolling around with NBA league pass these are the really if you're out if you don't live in LA or in that market you're not seeing Kawhi all that often unless it's a nationally televised game in the past two weeks we've been robbed of one of those opportunities to see him so it's a, again, it's a complicated issue. I'm not in favor of, and again, I want if if it's injury related, I've got no problem with these guys sitting out. They need to take care of themselves. But if you're a healthy player and all you're doing is resting, I cannot support that. All right. So I have I propose a question for both of you, gentlemen. Um, y'all choose how y'all answer. Jay and Cody. Do you guys have a favorite player or favorite team in the NBA? Yes, the Lakers. No, I'm more of a casual. Uh, got to watch everybody in a, in a sense. Okay. No local team. Okay. So you say the Lakers, Jay. Have you watched – are you going to watch all 82 of the Lakers games this year? Nope. The reason I ask that question is because as fans – um, partners, partnerships. They, everybody's complaining about low management, but I, I'm pretty confident that it's going to be very hard for me to find someone that watched all 82 games of their favorite player or their favorite team. Which tells me, if you don't watch all 82 games, let's say you watch 62 of them, then that's 20 games that anything can happen and you can't complain about it because you didn't even watch the game or you didn't go to the game. So, hey, let me just throw this in there because, you know, we all live on the East Coast. So every – I just want to throw this out there because I think it is important in my case. If I lived on the West Coast and all the games for the Lakers started at 730 in terms of – because, you know, every Laker game that's at home is a 1030 tip-off normally, which means I'm going to bed like 1 o'clock in the morning. So if I lived on the West Coast, then I would say yes, I would tune in for all 82. Just want to throw that in there. For all 82. Yes. You know, hey, come on now. You know how dedicated I am to my team. No, no, no. And I'm not trying to question your dedication. I know, I know you do this. This, that's, that's not. I'm not trying to call in either one of you guys' um, dedication. I think I see where you're going though, and I do, I do, and I, I will admit, like, I, I probably would miss one or two games. I probably would. So here's my problem. One, I want to say this. I don't have a problem with those man. I really don't. What I have a problem with is load management during national televised games. See, 
if they did load management on the NBA league pass, I'm not watching the game anyway because I don't got league pass. I mean, if you got league pass, I guess you would. But I think we we tend to kind of like get caught up in stuff that don't matter. Most fans don't watch all 82 games. What the problem is is one, the statue of the player, and two, the timing of the load management. Because if if the Clippers was playing the Timberwolves on lead pass, I guarantee you Kawhi Leonard wouldn't get all this smoke about sitting out the game. I guarantee you. The reason he's getting that smoke is because you can't be – you can't be playing on TNT one night and then NBA TV the next night and you decide to take those games off. That's what I think needs to be fixed is the timing of the timing. All right. If you have to play back-to-back on national games, fine. I'm going to give you the next game off because we're not on national TV. Come down. You you telling me your bones can't make it between two games on national TV? Which brings me up to the point that you, you brought up earlier, Jimmy. I personally do think there's something wrong with Kawhi Leonard. I think he is hurt. Um, if you actually look at it, I, like I say, sometimes I watch him play. I think he needs a hip replacement because he like the way he be going up and down the court. It don't it don't look natural. It look kind of still. I think it is something wrong with him that the Clippers don't want to put out there. That's neither here nor there because I I want to go through a bunch of facts to back that up. But I just think there's something wrong with him. But as far as like I say, the low management, I don't have a problem with. It. Now, what should the NBA do about it? That is the point. The NBA has already tried to do something about it, and all they did was force teams to come make up elements. Hey, uh, no, no, he ain't resting. Uh, he got a knee contusion. What's that? What's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a medical concern, but he got one of those, hey, so he ain't going to play. That's what they started doing. And they started just making up stuff because the NBA was like, we're going to find you. We found out that you just sitting somebody just because we're going to find you. So they're like, all right, cool. He got a he got a sprain, uh, index fingernail. Can't play. Sorry, he's out of here. You know, and that's what they tried to do. Now, the NBA itself, to me, can't do anything else. You already trying to find the teams, so usually that's how you get to the teams is you take their money away. But then at certain points, I guess teams are like, look, we don't care about all that. You want these little fifty thousand dollars? Come on with. It. Look, championship matters more. It matters more. Because we'll make this money back. We win the title, we're going to make this money back and so on. Let's be real. So you can take what you want to. So I would say the NBA done done what they can do. The teams can do better. The individual teams can do better. We talked about this earlier. Why not just slim down on the minutes? Slim down on the minutes. Because at the end of the day, if it's a problem with the player and he's legitimate hurt, and you tell him he's... Hey, you got 25 minutes. That player either going to say, okay, or, man, that's it. That's all I get. And if that's the case, that's something between the player and the coach. It has nothing to do with the front office. It has nothing to do with the NBA. That's just something they have to work out as a team. The, the low management thing, if I was a head coach or a GM, I'm just telling players, look, I'm not against low management, but you, you're going to have to take out that Tuesday night uh, against – the New York Knicks on the, the league pass app. That's the game you got to take off. You can't take off the ESPN. I'm sorry. You got to play. I might not play you the full regiment, 
but you need to play at least. Give the fans something. Give the partnership something. Because you can take – I know this is what players like to say. I'm just here to play basketball. And that's the same player that got like 35 companies, Kevin Durant. I just want to play ball. Well, that's funny. You got like three shows on ESPN+. Plus. You got a commercial out for this. You got a shoe deal on that. You sure you just here to play basketball? Because it don't look like it. But that's the excuse that they use when you start raining some heat out on them. So in, in order to please everybody, that's what I think needs to happen. Mess with the minutes. Keep it within the team. And just make sure your player at least playing the national televised games. Yeah, and one quick point on the minutes that we talked about a little bit earlier. You know with some of these upper echelon teams like the Lakers, like the Clippers, there's going to be games, and I would venture to say quite a few games, to where they just smoke-checking some of these teams. And you know there's going to be a fair amount of fourth quarters to where these guys are going to get an ample amount of rest. I think that's something we can't ignore. That's mostly what it is. I mean, I think one of the things with the slow man- management issue that it gets magnified to a bigger degree, but what it really is is superstars on teams that know they're going to go to the playoffs it's almost a given. Like, teams that would be borderline playoffs without them, that are definitely playoffs with them, are are knowing that, hey, I can let off the gas, I can cruise through the regular season, I can take care of myself as much as I possibly can, and then I can turn it on the playoffs. That's exactly what Kawhi did last year with the Raptors. Now, he was coming off that big injury and the big stink with uh, San Antonio, so there was something a little more to it, but that was the general idea, was, hey, I'm going to chill this regular season, man. Y'all y'all get it to the playoffs, you get us there, I'll, I'll take care of it once we're here. Well, he sure did. But that model, now other teams go, hey, if I got LeBron on my team, hey, LeBron, man, it's your 17. How about you relax a little bit, you know, and then once we get to the playoffs, you can you can, you can can go scorch surf and turn it on. The only thing I would say is the players need to be careful with this because they enjoy the highest amount of control of their league. They enjoy the highest amount of revenue. Uh, the, the revenue stream that the NBA gets versus what the players get is, is higher than other sports. They have a whole lot of control. The, the NBA Players Association is really powerful, and – they they enjoy all the benefits of being the controllers of what goes on, but then it's like oh also I want to take all I want to have my cake and eat it too by having all these benefits, but then not playing the big games. Okay, I'm sorry. If it's a superstar driven league and a player driven league, and you have this control, you have all this extra money, you get these huge contracts that no one else in other sports really get. Maybe besides baseball, but kind of salary cap, this and that. As I would say as a share, even like the mid-range NBA players are making way more than mid-range football players, mid-range basketball, uh, MLB players, jeez. But the thing is, if you have all that extra power, what was the old Spider-Man saying? With great power comes great responsibility. Man, you just show up and play your big games especially. I get it. You want to take a game off on that league pass on a Tuesday at 3 o'clock against the Magic? Sure, all right. No one's going to really care. I would say the road games you need to be careful with because if some, you're going to other team stadium, people are playing to, are paying to come to that arena and see you play. And the big national televised games, you know which games nationally televised. Those are made before the season starts. Let's try to get out there and play those games. Even if it's 25 minutes or so, get out there, run around, throw up some threes or some dunks, and, and give people a little bit of a show because if this keeps up, it is going to prompt the NBA to do something because they're going to start losing the revenue stream or they're going to have to try to cut games, which is going to cut the players' money. No one wants that. So, yeah, I think there is a compromise, but I think the players got some responsibility here, especially the superstars. Do your job. Play your game, man. 
All right, guys, let's move on to college football. Three top 25 matchups are on the slate this weekend in week 11, including the game of the year when number two LSU travels to Tuscaloosa to face number three Alabama. There's a lot of storylines and playoff implications to get into. So, Drink, what are you most excited about this weekend? Oh, yeah. So you know what it is. We got the showdown in Tuscaloosa. We got the Goat Saban versus Ed Orgeron. We got Joe Burrow versus Tua Tomballoa, the best of the best. All right? Hey, let me tell you something. I mean, I think I made it pretty clear what I'm most excited about. But uh, <laughs> let me tell you something. This game going to be uh, spectacular, folks. Uh, I can't really quantify how I'm excited for this game, especially this season, because LFLA gave me a whole lot to be excited about this season. Uh, so, it's finally a game comes where I feel like it's on the hook that, you know, they can lose. A team that's just as good, if not better than them. Very rarely, being, being an Alabama fan, very rarely has, you know, my guys played a team and I said, yo, this team could be better than us. It ain't happened much. Let me tell you, since Nick Saban, it ain't happened much. This is one of the few games I can honestly say that, LSU can quite possibly be better than Alabama. Now, that's as a whole team concept. Alabama got a lot of advantages in this game that I think going to go their way. Head coaching, that's Alabama. Quarterback, if you – quarterback two, – two is a better quarterback than Joe Burrow. It just – it depends on his health percentage. Okay, and you can go, you can go tomato, tomato. I mean, if people want to argue that, they can but I would tell them this. Two have been doing this for two years and a half. This is the first year you ever mentioned Joe Burrow. So if you're going to come and tell me Joe Burrow is so much better than Tua, you're going to show me the facts from the year before and the year before that because I can darn sure show you the facts for Tua. Either way, uh, in the quarterback, I think they got the advantage. Wide receiver, let's be serious. Here. Do I need to even say more about wide receiver? I mean, it's the best wide receiver core in the nation. They have the advantage there. Now, that's where the clear advantage stops. Everything else to me is debatable. Offensive line, defensive line, running game, special teams. Oh, yeah. yeah. Let me go back to special teams. A lot of people like to knock old Nick because the kickers can't get the job done. But I would tell those same people, uh, before you start throwing stones from a glass house, you might want to go look at that kicker from LSU because he ain't much better. So, Special teams is definitely, without a doubt, going to be. Now, is this going to be a 9-6 affair? Absolutely not. And if it is, I'm going to be massively disappointed because it shouldn't be that at all. But I think it will be a game. I don't like it that they call it the game of the century because it's not the game of the century. First of all, if it's the game of the century, you wouldn't have a team in Ohio that's rated better than both of your teams. So that's why I can't call it the game of the century. In my my way of thinking, the game of the century got to be between the the first and second teams in the nation. That's the because you can't have a team better or look that better than one of the teams that's in the game of the century. It's just my opinion. Um, with that said, hey, this game to me, it had this game. I would say, especially right now, but I might be vindicated here later in the season. This might have the biggest playoffs implication, and I'm gonna tell you why. Alabama since the season since. The championship game last year was pretty much a shoe-in for the playoffs this year, right? They were like, oh, Alabama in the playoff again? 
I don't see who's going to stop him. Because of LSU performance this year, I can say because of LSU and Penn State, that is why Clemson is number five. Because Ohio State is the team that's usually always around the top four. Alabama is usually always around the top four. We don't we, we can say LSU kind of, but Penn State, really? Yeah. When had Penn State become a heavy hitter like this? Like hanging around the playoffs conversation. And LSU, they usually stumble somewhere in the season before this point was usually having them a little lower than usual. So I can say the reason I say this game had probably the biggest implications is because like we talked about earlier, for the first time in a long time, Alabama gonna have the screws like that pressure is gonna be turned up. Nick finna lose some more hell this weekend. You can bet your bottom dollar. Because this game means everything for Alabama this season. I know it's a lot of pundits saying Alabama can lose this game without Tua and still make the playoffs. I'm sorry. That's false. You're going to have to give me something. You're going to show me something. I don't believe that to be true. If LSU loses this game, I mean, I'm sorry, if Alabama loses this game, they're done. Their playoff hopes are done. They will be playing in the Sugar Bowl. That's where they're going to play. The Sugar Bowl or the Orange Bowl, one of the two. They're going to be playing in one of those two bowls. It won't be the Peach Bowl and it won't be the Fiesta Bowl. Those are the playoff bowls, by the way. They won't be either one of those bowls because they're not going to be in the playoffs. Now, can LSU lose and still make the playoffs? That's, that, I guess, if you crunch the numbers and move this piece and move that piece, you could say yes. But for all intents and purposes, I'm going to say no because we still got to worry about Georgia that's hanging out there. They're going to get their crack at the Apple in the SEC championship. So all that's going to roll up. But Alabama got to win this game. They got to win this game. I'm sorry. This is a must win. Because with the without tool, you don't have nothing else on their schedule outside of Auburn that can remotely make anyone in the media think you deserve to be in the playoffs. And that ain't going to be good enough this year, Alabama. I'm sorry. That ain't going to be good enough. You feel like you're a playoff team, you're going to have to go out there and show it. Now, that is the game I'm most excited about watching. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to have my ears to the streets. I got to watch this Penn State in Minnesota. There's been a lot of, um, shall I say, different opinions about Minnesota. Um, but, hey, at the end of the day, that's why we play the games. Because now I can sit here and talk about how sorry I think Minnesota is all day. But Minnesota gets a shot to shut me right on up tomorrow at noon when they play Penn State. If they, Hey, and then Penn State come to Minnesota, by the way. That's a big deal. P.J. Fleck, you making some things work down there at Minnesota. Holla at your boy, Golden Gophers. So, if they beat Penn State, right, now Minnesota is going to elevate themselves in the Big Ten conversation, right? So, this game means, means it has implications, but LSU and Alabama is by far, I think, the bigger implication. That's what I wanted to see. That's what it is. Holla at your boy. Roll Tide. You know what it is, Jay. 90% of this weekend is absolutely all about Alabama, LSU. It's not close. It's a shame that this game isn't at 8 o'clock. I think this is a prime time game. I'm a little disappointed. It's a 3.30 kickoff. I agree. But, but hey, even hey, with that. We even do with, get the really cool CBS intro music, which in my opinion is worth it. 
Hey, 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 listen. They can, hey, they can roll that music at 8 o'clock. They did it last year, I believe. The LSU in Alabama, I believe, it was a primetime game last year. They had a double hitter on CBS. I don't know what they're thinking with that this year. But, hey, nevertheless, it don't matter. It's still gonna, it still should be a great game. I know Alabama does have, I believe, it's eight straight wins in this series. But make no mistake about it, this is LSU's best chance to get on to buck that trend. I mentioned it a couple shows back. They finally updated from that prehistoric dinosaur age offense they had where they just line up an eye formation and they don't do much throwing the football. Listen, they got Joe Burrow out there just slinging it around the yard to everybody. So give them credit for that. The biggest key for me in this game, well, there's a couple of them. One of them is how healthy will Tua be and will Alabama be able to protect him so he doesn't, so there is no risk which there's going to be risk, but can they minimize that risk and protect him as best they can? Can they keep it? Can he stay and throw from inside the pocket? If he goes out there and has to scramble too much, it's going to get a little dicey because we know probably the biggest concern we have with Tua is his durability. So that's going to be absolutely key because I don't think they can win this game without Tua playing a full game. Even though we saw Mac Jones do some nice things against Arkansas, Hey, that, that, that's Arkansas, and we know that they, that's the first time we've mentioned Arkansas in the history of this show because of how bad they are. So we don't need to, I don't need to say another word about Arkansas. The X factors in, in this game, though, are going to be defensively because both offenses are high-powered. We've seen great stuff from Joe Burrow and Tua Tugavaloa. A lot of weapons on each side, although I do agree with Drink. I think Alabama has a, has a definite edge in the wide receiving core. But defensively, it's going to come down to who can get a few timely stops. I expect a lot of points in this game. So that's going to be a big key for me, who can get timely stops. Yeah, I just want to throw in um, a big development that I think um, that's going to affect this is LSU starting middle linebacker, Michael Divinity, um, end up having to lead the team for personal reasons or whatnot. So he's the leading sack sack go-getter. So he's out of this game. And I know everybody's focused on Tua ankle, but Grant Delpit, the starting All-American safety for LSU, is also dealing with a. Uh, That's a right. He got did he get hurt. He got hurt last week, did he not? Mm-hmm. Okay. Bye. That's a hey. That brings up an interesting point. Didn't Devin White miss the first half of this game last year? Yes. Okay. That's a, okay. That that's potentially a big deal. But, yeah, I, I still think defensively it's going to be a big key. And, again, I think the offensive line of Alabama, I think they need a big game. I think they need to keep, uh, keep to a clean. I think it would behoove Alabama's uh, offensive play callers to get the running game going as well, have a balanced attack so LSU can't pin their ears back and go get him. I think that will be key as well. I do like Alabama, though. i got to admit, it's one of those things i got to see it. I got to see LSU go out there and beat it, beat them. Because even with Tua somewhat compromised, I still like him over Joe Burrow, and I still like Nick Saban over Ed Orgeron. So make no mistake about it. I'm going Alabama. We'll see how it turns out. Should be a fantastic game. But you mentioned the other 10% of this weekend, and maybe it's not maybe it's not the full 100% 9 to 10. Maybe it's like 90% 8%. But Minnesota, Penn State, big deal in the big, in the big 10. Big matchup in each teams. Obviously, Penn State. They want to hold serve at that fourth spot. They win this game. They'll be in great position to do so as they continue their quest for the playoffs. But look here, man. If you're if you're the Minnesota Golden Gophers, if you're PJ Fleck, hey, 
the college football playoff committee gave you all the bullets and board material you need, man, because 8-0, they put you at 17, and oh, by the way, they put old Baylor at 12? Are we serious right now? I don't know about that, Coach. I don't think the I don't know if old Rob Mullins can sell that one to me. You need, might need to take that somewhere else and put a knockoff brand on it because I don't know about it. But, hey, look, it's a big opportunity for both teams, particularly for Minnesota. And you're right. If they get that win, I expect a major jump in the rankings based on where they are now. I think they could be right outside the top 10, if not sitting at number 10, if they can uh, pull off this upset. Um the only problem I got with this game, and it goes, it almost goes back to Bama and LSU. Why on earth, and this is for the TV, and this is for the TV companies or whoever scheduled these games, because this is a flat-out joke. You mean to tell me Minnesota Penn State kicks off at noon on ABC, and the ABC primetime game, which is historically is the best game of the week, and they got Clemson and NC State on. At, at 7.30 on ABC. Are you serious? Is that really where Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit are going to be? This is some embarrassing stuff, man. You, you you can't, you cannot, there's no way you can sell me on this, that Penn State and Minnesota is not the primetime game on ABC. I think it's, I think it's an embarrassment. I really do. Yeah, you like to hope they would get those games scheduled a little bit. I haven't been a fan of the scheduling this year really at all. It's been a lot of Weird games on it, like big games are on at noon, and then like night games have been just a. Hey, look, hey, like, not to, and not to cut you off, but down. you can't, mm-hmm. you can't tell me that they can't work with these schedules, because you know, hey, they don't have game day and all that stuff scheduled all throughout the year. These are week to week type things, so you can't tell me they couldn't have fixed that game and put Clemson somewhere else. Put that, throw them, throw that game over on the ACC network. That don't need to be an ABC game. Right. It's probably complicated, as I'm sure, you know, you look at uh, Penn State, Minnesota wasn't going to be, uh, oh, preseason, there it is, that's that's the game we want to schedule. Uh, but, yeah, at this point it has become that, and you would hope they could have gotten into it. I'm really excited to see if Penn State can actually live up to the hype, because so far they're another team I don't know if really has proven that they're number four, but, hey, if they can take care of Minnesota, a team that, that's 8-0 and playing well, hey, I, I won't have as much of an issue with them being at four. Um well, Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, okay, let's get away with that last comment. Oh. What is the definition of put away Minnesota? I want to know what you mean by that. I would say if Penn State can go out there, I would say even like a 10-point victory would be enough. I don't, I don't, I guess you I should use better terms. So if Penn State tough. wins, if Penn State wins the tough. game. Okay. If they win the game, okay. I, you know what, because they're, Penn State is on the road, correct? They're they going are. to Minnesota, it's going to be like probably 20 degrees or something. Hey, they win that game. I'm I'm happy with them, uh, because that is a that is a marquee matchup in their conference. So I'll give it to them. You know they don't they don't they don't got to go out there and wax them. I'll fair enough. Uh, see, see, I kind of disagree with you on that because yeah. of the nature of Clemson being five, I think they're gonna have to show something. They come out here with some uh, Michigan Iowa crap. If they come out here with some ten three crap like that, that ain't gonna cut it. They, they, they will get jumped by Clemson. I'm telling you right now. They're going to – because Clemson got a smack on the wrist. That is why they're number five. If Penn State don't come out here and get a vote or something to believe in, I'm telling you, they're going to get jumped. I think they – I don't – I'm not saying they got to beat them by 30, but you got to make a statement. If you just make a statement, like, I don't know, you just shut down their offense the whole game, you know, and you beat them by 10 then, 
long as you make a statement. But I'm telling you, if it's some bull crap and people and it's ugly and the offense stayed in the locker room and the defense made it to the parking lot, no, they, they, they're going to have to do a little better than that. I think if they cover on the road, I think that's good enough for me. Yeah, for you. Maybe. Many must like something they see about him. They put him at four and Clemson at five. So I, I would think the burden of proof would fall more on Clemson. What, what did I just say? I know why they at four. They deserve to be at four. I'm not mad at them being at four right now. They got the better, they, they got the goods. I'm saying because of the, all the heat that they came down for Clemson, because that's where most of the heat came down between Clemson and Penn State, that is magnified now. So they're the one team this weekend they're going to have to put some proof in the pudding, as we say, to show why they was above Clemson. Because uh, other teams can go and skim through their games. It is what it is. I'm saying Penn State going to have to show a little something. Hey, how about how about this? I'll put it to you like this since I think we're being a little critical of Penn State. And I think Clemson should be number four. But, I, hey, listen, I'll tell you this much. No matter, no matter how Penn State does it, if they beat Minnesota – it's going to be more impressive than any win Clemson has all year. You can book True. that. True. Okay. I'll give you that. I'll leave it at that. I will that's, leave it at that. That's kind of my line of thought, too. Like, if, if Penn State goes out and beats Minnesota, Clemson's just flopping around. I mean, they're going to probably destroy NC. I think Clemson's about to absolutely go scorched earth on the next four teams they play. I feel okay. bad for that, that ABC game, I'm sorry, oh. Chris. I'm sorry, Kirk. It ain't worth watching. I'm sorry. They better, they better have some fluff material for that second half because they are going to be bored to tears, and more than likely. I would give, I would give ESPN this credit, too, because you was talking about the schedule. ESPN did try to get the Alabama LSU game prime time, but they – Hey, we know CBS ain't giving that up. That's look, they the, they they get the best SEC game. Hey, I ain't mad at them. Hey, cue up the music, coach. They didn't. Uh, all right. They didn't want to give up the Alabama and Georgia game next year because that's what ESPN wanted. You know, uh, what CBS okay. somebody wanted. That was the deal breaker. So I just wanted to throw that out there. That makes sense. Yeah, and on that game, the only thing I really had for the LSU-Alabama uh, game, is it really is fascinating how the, the story has turned from these two teams being more defensive-oriented with quarterbacks that just get it done, and, man, we turned it around, and now we've got these two offensive teams, and the defenses are, are the more in question. When I look at that, and I like I try to think, okay, well, maybe who has the advantage here? I think quarterbacks will be about an even. I think Tua won't be 100%, but I don't think he'll need to be 100%. I think he'll be good enough. And uh, I think Joe Burrow is going to continue to play well. He's proven already through three games he's going to be good enough. Uh, the biggest thing I see is that LSU pass rush, like you said, without Michael Divinity, uh, the pass rush is already a little suspect for LSU. You add on that Alabama offensive line that we know is always going to be good. And then these four wide receivers, man, I just have to look at these wide receivers. Devonta Smith, Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, Jalen Waddle. These dudes are amazing. I mean, Alabama's always got at least one dude. But these guys, I don't know how LSU is going to cover these guys. I mean, you got Grant Delpit out there and some other defensive backs that are nice. But LSU doesn't strike me as anyone that has anyone that just can lock them down. And even if you had a true lockdown corner, you got one of them. They got three more dudes to cover. That a good I got, man, I got to think that they're going to – that's going to be the difference in this game. I don't know if LSU's pass rush can get there enough to keep these guys from having enough time to get open. And these aren't guys you can cover for seven, eight seconds in the zone or something, man. It's going to be – I think that's going to be the difference. That's why I'm going with Alabama to make it nine straight over LSU. Um, but, I, what, I, what you just said, I just want to comment on this. A matchup to look at, and I, this is going to be a fantastic matchup, is 
The cornerback for LSU, Derek Stingley, the true freshman, phenomenal. He's going to be an All-American. The dude is the straight truth. I almost cry sometimes when I think about the fact that we didn't get him. And him, on he he should, his primary job should be on uh, Jared Judy. So that matchup is going to be phenomenal. Now, the reason I say it's going to be phenomenal because this is what you just said. The other three guys, I guess they're just going to run buck, at, buck, buck wild out here. So um, that that's going to be good because Derek Stingley, even though he's a true freshman, I'm telling you, this guy is the good. He hasn't been beat up in one game yet. He the dude want all the smoke, and I love a true freshman that want all the smoke. So that's I think that'll be one of the most intriguing matchups to look at is Derek Stingley versus Derek Duke. Yeah, that that hopefully so. I mean, I, I'm just I'm looking forward to to a game, and I, I think that uh, unlike that nine to six fiasco from a couple of years ago, I think we're gonna get uh, some fireworks there tomorrow at three thirty. All right, guys, let's time to finish it off with a rapid reaction. A lot of topics in a little bit of time. We'll start with you, Drink. Oh, yeah. Redskins left tackle Trent Williams has been placed on reserve slash non-football injury list. Are you surprised about this? Nope. We knew this all along. We knew he wasn't going to play a single down of football for the Redskins this year. Tomorrow night on ESPN Plus in Fresno, California, there's a super featherweight boxing match. The WBO Super Featherweight title between the WBO Super Featherweight champion Jamel Herring versus undefeated Super Featherweight contender Lamont Roach. How do you see this fight going down? Um, in in a, I want to say probably the first half of the fight, I'm, I'm going to see Lamont Roach probably going to come out there with the fast, you know, come out there moving fast, getting some things done. But after that, Jamal Herring going to go ahead and give him this work and he'll, he'll be defending his title and he'll be the champ at the end of the night. Piston forward, Blake Griffin has been cleared to resume all basketball activities. Is that a big deal? It potentially is, especially when you consider the great start Andre Drummond is off to. He's playing absolutely out of his mind. You get Blake Griffin back out there, maybe you can do some big things in the Eastern Conference. We'll see. Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes makes his return from his dislocated knee Sunday against the Titans. What do you expect from him outside of carrying your fantasy team? Well, let me tell you something. I'm definitely going to need him to carry my fantasy team. But here's the deal. I think uh, he won't be high-end Patrick Mahomes, MVP Patrick Mahomes, to say, but he'll get the job done. First of all, it's the Titans. Let's be real here. And then second of all, it's Patrick Mahomes. I think he can get it done with a dislocated kneecap, but the fact is he, he's recovering from it. So he's going to go ahead and put a little sauce on him, and he's going to take care of business. The San Francisco Giants have narrowed their managerial search to Gabe Kepler, Joe Esperado and Matt Quintar. Who should they hire? Well, who I'm going with Joe Esperado, the, the bench coach of the Houston Astros, because the last time a bench coach for the Astros got hired, it was Alex Cora, who went on to manage the Boston Red Sox. They won the World Series last year, so I'd go with Joe Esperado. Tomorrow night on The Zone in Los Angeles at the Staples Center, there is a WBC lightweight championship match between the WC lightweight champion Devin Haney and the undefeated prospect, Alfredo Alvarez. What you got on this fight? Uh, David Haney going to kill him. Celtics guard Marcus Smart expressed frustration over the officiating during his last night win over the Hornets, saying, I wish they would just call the game the right way. Are you buying or selling Smart comments? I'm selling anything Marcus Smart says in regards to officiating. We know this guy is the poster boy for everything <laughs> flopperooski related in the NBA. Forget about it. Ohio State defensive end Chase Young will not play Saturday against Maryland due to a possible NCAA, NCAA violation. 
Is this suspension warranted? Well, there's two ways to look at it. I mean, by the letter of the NCAA strict prison rules, yes, it is warranted. But once you hear how it all went down, it just seemed like a simple loan. I mean, I don't see why a guy got to miss games out of his career for some, some stuff like that. But, you know, that's how the NCAA rolls. Um, the Vikings will be without wide receiver Adam Thielen and defensive tackle Lavelle Joseph on Sunday's night game against the Cowboys. Is this significant? I think both are significant. Adam Thielen is Kirk Cousins' go-to guy in that offense, even though he'll still have Stephon Diggs. And then Limbaugh Joseph, the man in the middle, he would be key in the Vikings' hopes to contain Ezekiel Elliott. I think they're big losses. I think the Cowboys win. I think Kirk Cousins reverts to who he thought he was. We ain't going to like that, boys. Tomorrow evening on ESPN Plus in Moscow, Russia, it's a UFC featherweight main event between the fifth-ranked featherweight contender Zabit Magomed Sharapov versus the 11th-ranked contender Calvin Qatar. Who you got, Drink? Yeah, I'm going to take Zabib on that. And I will say his last name, but I can't say it. Um, So I'm going to take Zabib. Hey, this guy, is a, um, he is a Class A talent. The guy is the truth. Um, he's a future champ. He will be the champ here in the near future. So I'm going to take him on that. And he's in Russia. I'll let you boy. All right, that concludes today's Drink of Wisdom. I'm Cody Ward. I'm Jay Wise. And I'm Nathan Drinker. And remember, make tomorrow better than today and make today better than yesterday. I'll uh...